Well, good evening everyone and a warm welcome again to our service this evening. We continue the public worship of God in this Lord's Day as we rise now to sing his praise again with words from Psalm 96, the Scottish Psalter version of Psalm 96. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord, sing all the earth to God, to God sing, bless his name, show still his saving health abroad. Oh, sing a
join together in prayer. Lord of heaven and earth, you are a great God and King, and you are worthy of all our worship. We thank you for this opportunity of being together here in this assembly of your people in which you, we are assured from your word that you take pleasure. In the gates of Zion you have pleasure in the homes and families of your people but in a special way when they come together as we do now. Great honor is before his face and majesty divine. Strength is within his holy place and there does beauty shine. Lord, this is a holy place. It is a place set apart and a place where your presence is promised. And so we pray for the power of the presence of your Holy Spirit. And we pray too for that sense of beauty that shines. Lord, it is difficult to find words to express that glory and that beauty. But we thank you that we can come with the prayer of the psalmist when he said, One thing I of the Lord desire, and will seek to obtain, that all days of my life I may within God's house remain, that I the beauty of the Lord behold may and admire, and that I in his holy place may reverently inquire. So give us, Lord, to see the beauty of Jesus as there is none to be compared with him. And that we come to reverently, humbly inquire as to what you would have to say to us now. We thank you, as another has said, that you are there and you are also here and you are everywhere and you are not silent. So may we be a Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears we are listening. You have declared, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And that it was said of him, no one ever spoke like this man. And how true that is. And may that be true for us this evening. Lord, we thank you that your word cannot be restrained, no matter what power seeks to restrain it. And there are forces at work even within ourselves, restraining, holding back from the freedom that we ought to be giving to your word. The Apostle Paul, as he was chained, as he was in chains, and as he was imprisoned, 
His testimony was that the word of God could not be chained. And that there are many tonight, Lord, all over the world of your people who are in chains of different kinds or another, different restraints and restrictions. Yet, Lord, give them to know the freedom of the Spirit and the freedom of your word as it goes out even from their witness. Help us, Lord, to go out with this great word, this great gospel of salvation. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we thank you that to Jesus you have given that name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, you have created us to glorify you and to enjoy you. And help us to do so now, even this hour we are together. And to know the reality of the joy of, in a measure, fulfilling the purpose for which we are made. Lord, we pray for those who are anxious, and those who maybe feel bound in Doubting Castle, and are chained by giant despair. O Lord, you know who they are, and you know where they are, and you know what they need. You know they need the confirmation of your word. And we pray that for all such tonight. Maybe some here among ourselves. Lord, we remember those who are sick. We know that they're always such. And those who are sorrowing. And again, they are never far from us. But may those of them whom we know always be near us, and near us in our minds and in our hearts and in our prayers. <coughs> Lord, we receive much information from all over the world of different uh, churches, different nations even, and all the struggles that your people have. And we thank you for all the agencies, missionary agencies, relief agencies all over the world who bear your name and who are engaged in the administration of relief and the administration of your grace. Lord, as we receive information, give us understanding so that we can pray as we ought to pray and support them bear them up so fulfilling the law of Christ what a wonderful law that is bearing one another's burdens so fulfilling the law of Christ because he bore our sin in his own body to that tree <coughs> so we thank you for the relief of that burden that we find at the cross so we come tonight Lord and we ask that you would lead us and guide us into your truth. 
for without your direction we wander aimlessly without direction but we thank you for the one who is the way the truth and the life so may we know as we come to his word the enlightening of his spirit enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ hear us Lord and bless us as you see our need and as you hear forgive for Jesus sake Amen let's sing again the same psalm the remaining verses of Psalm 96 <coughs> give ye the glory to the Lord that to his name is due come ye into his courts and bring an offering with you in beauty of his holiness, O do the Lord adore. Likewise, let all the earth throughout tremble his face before.
Our reading this evening is from the letter to the Hebrews and the first chapter, Hebrews chapter 1. This is God's Word, the supremacy of God's Son. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Amen. This is God's word for us, and God will bless the reading and hearing of his own word. We're going to sing again from Psalm 87, Scottish Psalter version of Psalm 87. Upon the hills of holiness he his foundation sets. God more than Jacob's dwellings all delights in Zion's gates. <coughs> Upon
We turn now to Matthew's Gospel, the last chapter, chapter 28, and from verse 16, under the heading, The Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. <coughs> Another mountain in Galilee. And there's 11 men on the top of this mountain. Their own thoughts as they wait for Jesus. In verse 10, Jesus said to the women, and he said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see him. What was Jesus' reason for meeting them on this mountain? Perhaps we could have that image again on the screen, please. Yes. I believe that Jesus wanted to impress on them the dimension of what he was about to ask them to do or to command them to do. Because when you're up on the top of a mountain, you can't help but have your horizons widened and extended. And you know, we referred this morning to our gatherings in church as being mountain top experiences where there's just this special atmosphere that you really don't get anywhere else in the world. You go up. I joyed when to the house of God go up, they said to me, the psalmist said. There's a true view from a height. There's an atmosphere. There's a true view of God, of self and of the world as we come together around God's word, around the truth, and as as we come together and worship. So these 11 men were there on the mountain waiting for Jesus as he had directed them to go there. And we're told that when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Perhaps, and in fact there will be some in every gathering like this who will have doubts. Because to believe means the possibility of doubt. Unbelief doesn't have doubt. 
Belief has doubts. What subdues or what sorts doubt? Well, I believe it's confirmation, a word of confirmation. And as we referred to again this morning, that that prayer of Psalm 119, verse 38, confirm to me your gracious word that I did gladly hear. Confirmation is the word. Now, we come now this evening to what's called the Mountain of Commission, the Great Commission. And we know that that mountain was in Galilee, that's where Jesus directed them, and it's more likely to be the southern end of Galilee. And it's possible that it was this mountain in the picture, Mount Arbel, not as high as Mount Hermon at all. And when you stand on the top of that mountain, as that picture shows, it looks out, the Sea of Galilee is just, just in the picture there, and that's the south end of the Sea of Galilee. And then in the front is built on now, but in that day it would have been just a fertile plain, the plain of Gennesaret. And I think that that was particularly and specifically chosen by Jesus. Because you remember what he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that plain there of Gennesaret was a very fertile plain. And they knew that, and it would have been, uh, it would have struck them, I think, that there was a great harvest out there in the world and that's where Jesus was directing them so that's then the picture the top of the mountain so the first word that Jesus speaks to them is we would say we would call the great claim there are three great statements that Jesus makes here. The great claim, the great commission, and then the great comfort. And we'll look at these three just briefly. The first word, the great claim. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me just ask, before we go any further, is there anyone else that you would wish to have this authority authority is the right to exercise power perhaps I mentioned this morning in our prayer notes we have these words Jesus is risen and to him is given all authority in heaven and on earth Jesus claims the highest authority the highest honor in the universe for himself. So how do you feel about that? Spurgeon says this, I am sure there is no more delightful doctrine to a Christian than that of Christ's absolute sovereignty. There's no greater security in the whole universe than this statement of Christ's absolute authority. Because there is none other who is worthy to have this right to exercise this power. 
Abraham Kuyper, who was Prime Minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905, and oh, that we would have such Prime Ministers again. He famously said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. And would we say, in response to that, no, it's mine. Who would replace him? Who else is worthy to be given such authority? We read then in Hebrews 1, verse 3, he appointed he is appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the world he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact rep, and the exact imprint or representation of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power and after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is enthroned in the highest place and given the highest authority. Revelation 5, where we have that presentation of the throne. Revelation 5, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals and i saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals because the scroll contains the highest authority's plan for the redemption of his creation and no one, in ha no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. He began to weep loudly because there was no hope. If there was no one uh, who was found worthy to open this scroll, no one found worthy to be given the authority to carry forward God's plan. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lion, oh, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The lion who is the lamb. C.S. Lewis in that great, one of his great works for children, designed for children, but so full of, of wonderful truth. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And he says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? 
Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The great claim, all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the king, I tell you. There is none other. The second word then, the great commission. Now a commission is the giving of authority to perform a certain task or duty. And it's specific, well it's often used in terms of army or or the forces, a commission, an officer commission. And uh, if an officer doesn't want the commission, then he can write a letter to say to the higher authorities, to the general, that he wishes to resign his his commission. But the general can respond, and respond in these terms, I resign your commission, spelt R-E hyphen sign, because the signature on a commission is the signature of the higher authority. And so there is an authority given to perform a certain task or duty, which is this great commission. And it begins with go, therefore, because of my authority, because of my supreme authority, because there is no greater authority, you go. And that word go is not the beginning of the command. I don't know much about grammar, but I'm told that it's a present participle, which means that they have been going, and so they have been, because they've been following Jesus for three years, and they have been going, but it's been a limited going. It's been a going within boundaries. And now they're on this mountain view, and he is saying, while you are going, this is my command to you. I'm giving you this authority. I'm widening your authority to encompass the whole world. I'm giving you authority. And this is my command. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples. Make learners. They learned from him, and now they're about to teach about him. And what are they to teach? They are to teach that Jesus is Lord. That he is at the right hand of the majesty. He is in the place of supreme authority. In the, the place He is in the right hand of the majesty. And he has provided purification for sins, we read there. Now the translation says he is by himself. He has purged our sins. He has washed away our sin. That word purge, the English word, or the Greek word, uh, we get the English word catharsis, which is a relief of strong feelings or tension. And that's what sin produces. Strong feelings and tension that's not right, and especially towards God. 
and purging produces relief and remission and reconciliation. And you see, it must be about him. The message must be about him. Not about me or my feelings. Because my feelings can be replicated. I remember the late Professor Donald MacLeod saying, Feelings are largely biological. Whether you feel good or feel bad, that's not what it's about. Because feelings can be replicated by any religion on earth, by Muslims, by Buddhists, by yoga, by anything. But the message must be about him. What has been done for me? Let me tell you what has been done for me by him. The Son of God, Paul put it, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He will do the same for you and for whoever believes. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The whole world. C.S. Lewis, again, Jesus Christ did not go into all... Jesus Christ did not say, go into all the world and tell the world that it's quite right. Go into all the world and tell the world that it's not right, but that there is one who can make it right. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me will do the same for you. Go into all, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. No boundaries. You know the view from the mountain, and I think that was what Jesus had in mind when he gave this commission on the top of the mountain, because there's a view from a mountain where the horizon is the boundary. And beyond that horizon boundary, there's another horizon boundary. And so it goes on and on. Make disciples. Baptizing them. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. Baptizing is a naming ceremony, isn't it? And it's a public ceremony. It's a declaration of identity. And that's so important, that declaration of identity. Because it's the answer to the identity crisis that we have in our world. Who am I? What gender am I? What's my identity? Well, here's the answer. Here's the great answer in this great commission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You know, the answer to the identity crisis is that we become children of God. That's who we are. See what John writes, love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. John 1.12, to those who received him and believe in his name, he gave the right. What name? The name Lord. Of course, the highest name. He gave the right to become the children of God. Alistair Begg says, There's no such person as a secret disciple. Either your discipleship will destroy your secrecy, 
or your secrecy will destroy your discipleship. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the tri-personal God. J.C. Ryle says, Let us rejoice that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who cooperated to make man, let us make man in our image. Remember in the creation, let us rejoice that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who cooperated to make man do also cooperate to save man. Sinclair Ferguson has written a little book many years ago and it's called A Heart for God. A great little book. And I found this that really stayed with me and will stay with me, I trust. He says this when he is speaking of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The God whose being we cannot comprehend is also the God who is a Father who loves us, a Son who came to die for us, a Spirit who brings us into God's heart and who brings God into our hearts. Let me say that again. The God whose being we cannot comprehend is also the God who is a Father who loves us, a Son who came to die for us, a Spirit who brings us into God's heart and who brings God into our hearts. Baptizing them, naming them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the commission, first of all, make disciples. Make them come. Make them follow. Secondly, baptize them. Name them. That they may publicly be named and identified. And thirdly, teach them. Teach them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is a difficult bit, isn't it? Teaching them to obey, to observe. Because by nature we resist. We resist to be obedient. But baptized children must learn to obey and be willing to obey. And Jesus himself is the ultimate example of obedience. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then Hebrews 5 verse 9, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's a great statement. Jesus has become the source of of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And J.C. Ryle explains this. He says, Obedience is the only proof of the reality of trust. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Sinclair Ferguson, again, there is no such thing as genuine knowledge of God that does not show itself in obedience to his word and will. The person who wants to know God but has no heart to obey him will never enter the sacred courts where God reveals himself 
to the soul of man by his spirit who brings us into the heart of God and brings God into our hearts and it is as we obey why obey because he is Lord C.S. Lewis again famously famous quote from his little book Mere Christianity I'm trying here, he says, to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And they say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He is Lord. You see, it's easy, it's easy to have agreement on acceptance of Jesus as a great moral teacher. But it's a different thing altogether to have acceptance of Jesus as Lord who has all authority and is to be obeyed. Teach them to obey to observe all that I have commanded you. Teach them to obey, to observe all that he has commanded. How do you feel about that? Well, for me, I feel that I couldn't do it. It's impossible. And I feel uncomfortable because I know that the first response will be resistance. So I need some reassurance. I need some comfort. And here it is in the third word of the Great Commission. There is the great claim, the great commission, and finally the great comfort. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. On a recent occasion, Jesus had said to them, Without me, you can do nothing. And I think they would have all agreed, Without you, we can do nothing. But then he said to them, I'm going away. And it'd be good for you that I go away. Why was that? Because he had to ascend to the place of power which was his. And from that place of power he would send the promised Holy Spirit. The Father promised the Holy Spirit. That was the reward 
of the exodus or the departure that he accomplished in Jerusalem as we thought of this morning in Revelation 5 verse 6 we have that picture of the lamb the lamb had seven horns which means complete power horns power seven complete power and seven eyes complete vision and that's tremendously reassuring truth the lamb who is in the midst of the throne who is Lord he has seven horns he has complete power and he has complete vision which are the sevenfold spirit of God sent out into all the earth so it's not the disciples who will produce the required conviction of the world to come into submission to Jesus Christ but it is the spirit of Jesus yes they bring the message but the power is his the gospel message that he is Lord is in Romans 1.16 the power of God to salvation the power of God to salvation that's the great reassurance it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first then to the Gentile and that's a great reassurance for every believer that it is the power of God to salvation the power of God to salvation and then he says and surely I am with you always to the end of the age I am with you another place it says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. And I love the way Spurgeon puts this in a sermon on this, on this truth. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. He says Jesus Christ always himself. You always know how he is. He's always himself. And that's a great comfort. And that was a great comfort to these 11 men. Because they knew him. They knew his love. They knew his understanding. They knew his patience. And there was 11 disciples there that day. There was one added again in Acts chapter 1 to make up the number of the 12. And then in 1 Corinthians 15 there's 500 others. But most of the names even of these 11 we never hear of again. And it took Peter about eight years to overcome his personal prejudice and to include all the nations. Because that was the command. Make disciples of all nations. And it took him eight years before he could go out with Judaism. Before he could go to the Gentiles. Eight years to overcome his prejudice. But you know there's no other fault exposed because love covered all the faults of these men as they went out with this great message, with this great commission and with this great reassurance and this great comfort. I am with you always to the end of the age. It's uh, recorded of Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, who was Minister of Westminster in London before Martin Lloyd-Jones. 
and he once visited an elderly lady uh, and he read the scriptures to her and as he, he read this passage at the end the last chapter of Matthew 28 and he remarked on these words uh, and he said isn't that a wonderful promise surely I am with you always to the end of the age and wise was her response to the minister young man she said that is not a promise it is a fact and with that fact we close may God bless his word to us we're going to sing and we're going to pray together we sing in praise and prayer the words of Psalm 67 Lord bless and pity us shine on us with thy face that the earth thy way and nations all may know thy saving grace Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be 